This week on Three Sides of the Coin, we sit down with Jeff from the Smashing Pumpkins. And it is such a killer kiss discussion. I promise you, deep kiss geek dumb going on here. Don't miss it. This is Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things kiss. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin as Mark fades in so beautifully there. God knows he didn't do that on purpose. It's a kiss router. Um, All right, so we got an incredible special guest. Mark is hangry, so let's just pound through this. Um, Remember Three Sides of the Coin Radio every week on Station Head. Uh, follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on YouTube, and I'll take just a couple minutes here because I finally got to see KISS End of the Road Tour last Friday in Oakland, California. Um, you know what? It was the, the biggest question people ask is, was it the best KISS show you've ever seen? No, Creatures is still the best. This is probably number two. And that's pretty huge. Though. I, I and yeah, I've seen so many shows and so many tours. This was phenomenal. But I as I'm watching the show, I realize I'm seeing it and watching it and feeling things differently than I did at every other Kiss show. I wasn't like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't know how maybe this is what they intended. But as I'm watching this show, all of my Kiss memories come flashing back to me like i i'm watching and i'm detroit rocks no it was beth i'm watching beth and it's like oh god yeah i remember the paul lind halloween special you know i i remember yeah. um meeting the you know when when they did i was made for loving you man i remember the dynasty in store at great american music you know i remember my first concert the creatures tour um all the amazing tours I saw through the 80s unmasked. The Psycho Circus tour was big for me because that's when I first started working with them. So when Paul was singing Psycho Circus, it, you know, it was so many memories came rushing back. And I had a smile from ear to ear from start to finish. I was just sitting back going, man, I feel so happy and so proud, and so amazed, and so blessed, and, you know, it was all these feelings that normally don't happen at a KISS concert, and maybe it's because, could it be the last time I see them, it's definitely their last full tour, but it was, it was a lot of emotions, it was emotions like, man, you know, these guys are the reason Katrina and I are together, these guys are the reason Thule is here, you know, these are the, these guys are the reasons, the Three, four of us get together every week to talk about would our paths have ever crossed if KISS wasn't the core reason? No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't have been. So, But our paths have crossed with Izzy, too. Yeah. So, But that's all because of this. Because of No, I understand that. You know what I'm saying. So there's some downside. There's some downside, sure. But, you know, Izzy's not here every day. Um, but you know, so I'm not going to get into 
all the elements of the show, song by song review, just some of the amazing things that I noted. First of all, the lighting, absolutely brilliant lighting at this tour. And Which is why the photos look like that. Yeah, the colors, it, and that's well, what it is. Well, I, I was going to say, and this might sound odd, but as I'm watching the show, I felt like I was watching it in HD. The stage, the show was so sharp and crystal clear. It wasn't murky lights and muddy lights. It was sharp, crisp, clear lighting that made them look high def as I'm watching it, which was great. Um, Obviously more pyro than you can frickin' imagine throughout the entire show. Um, A couple of funny comments. So where, where I was sitting, um, right at near, I can't remember what song it was, but right at the beginning, somebody's yelling out, let Ace loose, let Ace loose. And I'm just like laughing. And the, and the same guy during Cold Gin when Tommy's doing the guitar solo, because I swear to God, he probably thought that was still Ace up there. He's going, come on, is that all you got? Give me more. Is that all you got? Give me more. I mean, he was going crazy during the guitar solo. Oh, and God. and and during one of the stage raps where Paul goes, I think we're going to do some classic kiss. Somebody behind me yells out, crazy nights. And I was just like... <laughs> oh. I was just like rolling my eyes going... I suppose somebody might consider that a classic Kiss tune, but I didn't. I mean, it was just such a fun night. You know, it. You know, I don't. I don't know. It, Eric's drum solo, fabulous, and I hadn't seen. And maybe he's always been doing this, but I hadn't seen it. And and I don't watch a lot of the videos. But the close-up cameras that are on him on each side where he literally turns and is, like, right in the camera, fantastic interaction with the audience doing that. I mean, it was just – that was great. You can even see the green on his costume. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. Dami. Tommy, ring it for yourself. Yeah, you deserve a bell on that one. Um, So, you know, it was just, you got to go see it. Everybody was on their feet the entire night. Yep. I didn't hear one person walking in, walking out, sitting around me. Now, obviously, I didn't hear the other. First of all, let me be very clear. When I posted, I never said there were 19,500 people at the show that's how that's max capacity for oracle arena if it's a basketball game this was probably i would guess because i haven't seen official numbers 12 to fourteen thousand. it was packed all the way to the top the only thing that was empty was behind the stage so it, it, it was just everybody had a blast everybody was smiling every so many small kids and parents with kids and families you know it just kind of made me sit back and go i'm proud that i'm a kiss fan because these guys you know to what mark started forget the haters we fucking won we did and what did we win 
we won having the greatest <clears throat> band in the world for 45 plus years Dude, making, us, making us happy making us smile over and over and over again so this show was that was more what it was for me i wasn't sitting there anal well wait a second i did count the pods <laughs> I, I, have a, I, have a, I have a theory if you're counting pods you're probably eating the tide pods <laughs> <laughs> i had to count the pods because we rip on people who count pods and i'll laugh at myself and you guys laugh at me um you know everything about this is just a huge you you're you're happy you're proud they're kicking fucking ass i'm not sitting here analyzing guitar playing and bass playing and and singing and drumming it's about having a fucking great time in a room filled with 15,000 other people having that same great time it's just like the vegas shows we were just there having Fun. Yeah, it really, so you know, the, the, the live performance is truly the icing on the cake. It's everything else that is so much, so much, it, it, it's so important to, the, to the, the KISS experience. It's going there and it's hanging out with people and it's running into people. Uh, you know, two, two, two or three rows right in front of me, Jonathan Fenno was, was oh, you know, he turned around. Somebody, somebody else, a couple rows in front of me, turns around, three sides. You know, it's, that's the sort of stuff that as the geeky KISS fans we are, is that freaking amazing that people recognize you at a KISS concert? It blows my mind. I mean, how many KISS concerts have we been to in our lifetimes where you're all you care about is recognizing the guys on the stage and somebody's recognizing us at a show? It's just mind-blowing as a KISS fan. So it was, um, it was as many thumbs up as I can give the End of the Road tour. It was filled with memories and emotions, and I'd probably be lying if I didn't said there were probably a few moments there where I was like, Tearing up. I'm like, God, these guys are just, thank you. Thank you for everything you freaking have done in 45 years. Thank you to everybody who's ever been in the band. That's what this tour is about to me. I feel like that's what it was about. You know, some people are going there and crying and weeping because it's the end. I felt like, if anything, it was like, don't take this in a morbid way, but it's like going to a funeral, and instead of crying at the funeral, everybody laughs and is smiling and having great memories. And that's what this was. I wasn't sad it was over. I was so freaking happy that, you know, I first saw Kiss in 1983, and here I am in 2020 seeing them yet again. And still feel like a 12-year-old kid. Screw you assholes who think that's wrong. I'll take feeling like a 12-year-old kid any goddamn day of the week. And KISS can make me feel that way. Yep. So go go to the end of the road tour. That's all I can say. It's, it's well worth it. The crowds are huge. The production is amazing. It's beautiful. The set list, I loved it. I thought tears are falling for me personally. I know you guys have said, Tommy at least, 
Parasite was a big thing for you. Tears Are Falling was it for me. It's like when they started playing Tears Are Falling, I was like, oh, this is fabulous. But I would agree with you that, that Tears Are Falling might be one of the best sounding songs in in the evening. Parasite for me wasn't so much the song, although I like it a lot. It was the lighting was just so cool. The way they brought the pods down and it changed it. That was why it stuck out to me more so. But I've, I've been actually singing in my head some of those 80s songs ever since the last show because they, and they I, sound and I was, so good. I was able to download uh, an audio bootleg of a Friday night show, so I'm re-listening to it again. It's like that that's what it's all about it's like yeah it's my scream somewhere in that audience crowd you know it's it, it was just a great experience kiss did it on this tour they completely changed everything it looks fabulous you are if you're a kiss fan you're a fool not to go i'm sorry you're a fool if you don't go see this and you're a fan I don't know about you guys. I was also surprised when Paul does the little impromptu survey. How many of you, it's first time? Yeah. I would probably say a third of the audience. It was their first time at a Kiss concert. Right, which is mind-blowing. That's crazy. But they were having a great time. Yeah. I mean, isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you want when you go to a concert? To have a great time and walk out of there smiling, going, yep, that was it. I'd well, be I happy if that was it. it. I couldn't have described it any better. So as I, I, I would end it with as 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 we piss people off all the time, forget the haters. We fucking won. We meaning us fans, not we, we as three sides. Yeah, yeah. We the fans won. Kiss as a band won. They're still here in 2020. Kicking guys, fucking just ass. remember back to when we were in junior high and high school when yep. we were wearing our Kiss belt buckles and Kiss socks and really? Well, guess what? It's 2020, and you know who's not playing stadiums? Ario Speedwagon, Sticks, and Pat Benatar. Sorry. Well, let's, listen, when, I mean, I'll, I'll no, even— No, there's nothing wrong with no, those no, no, no. at all. But if I would have said that to you in 1982, you would have said that I was fucking crazy. But but I would I would also sit here and go and this isn't to say these bands suck because they don't, but Judas Priest isn't playing to fifteen thousand people. Um, Deep Purple's not playing to fifteen thousand people. Led Zeppelin isn't even around. Now, granted, if they were around, they probably would be playing to fifteen thousand people. But the whole the whole point the whole point is all of these bands that somebody said, "Fuck Kiss," these guys are better. Well, those guys aren't playing to 15,000 people who are still fucking going nuts. Yeah, he we who won. Last, 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 best. We won. Last. And be, and be freaking yeah. proud that you won as a KISS fan. Be, you know, I was so freaking proud of my band. It's my band. KISS is my band. Mm-hmm. I was so freaking yep. proud to sit there and see an entire, 50, I don't know, like I said, twelve to 15,000 people having a great time. Oh. 19,500. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So special guest this week. And trust me when I say do sit through this. Don't let the name of the guest cause you to just bolt. We're joined with Jeff Schroeder, guitar player from the Smashing Pumpkins.
and we like Jeff. We like na- guys named Jeff. So don't you know? He is a Michael's huge point. Kiss fan. Huge. He's as big a Kiss fan as us. He's also a pretty big Tommy Bolin fan. We find out as we yeah as we sit as Tommy and I sit back and watch Mark and Jeff fanboy out amongst themselves. It was like okay anybody. It was like watching a circle jerk on Tommy Bolin. <laughs> Nothing is as bad as, as as Mark and Singer together talking about drums. That that's the ultimate like. That, Guys, that's when Tommy goes into full Archie mode with with Edith with the gun. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's wrap this. All up. right, so okay. let let it roll. Jeff from the Smashing Pumpkins incredible fun discussion about kiss yeah. and the pumpkins You're gonna love it. want to get your official three sides of the coin logo and shocker tee now you can we ship worldwide get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com Everybody out there in Three Sides World, um, I want to welcome great special guest. I've known this guy, I don't know, for about a year now. This is uh, Jeff Schroeder from Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's so, been, a, you know, I know we've been tried. We've tried to make this happen a couple times because of my touring schedule and whatnot. It kind of never lined up, but I'm glad it. I'm glad everything aligned right now. And so and and, and, and a big shout out to Dave Lopez for connecting yes. us a while ago. So um, Dave Dave's in a band called Flipside. So check them out. Nice little plug Very for cool. Dave. Um, yeah, no, Dave is a great guy because you know he actually hooked me up with the Jason Becker people, and you know and he's you. A huge, he's a so- huge Kiss fan too. He, massive. massive 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 so yeah. so before the kiss kiss fans out there going what the fuck do we have somebody from the smashing pumpkins on a kiss web kiss podcast you're a huge huge kiss fan massive big 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 i actually tried to send you a photo i couldn't i couldn't get it through but i'll send it to you. maybe if i can i have a picture i found a picture of me as, as a five-year-old 1979 with the Ace Freely Halloween costume on. Uh, nice. my, you, know, you know they nice. do the school. You know they do the, the school parade yep. where everyone yeah. shows up in their costumes and you walk around the school. So I actually found a, I found the photo of it and I was I was going to send it to you guys. That's so. awesome. Oh, just, that'd be <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. There's got to be a way I can just zap it in here somehow. I don't well, know. we'll we'll get we'll get it after the show. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll put well. it in in the show later. Um, cool. So let's just. Let's go back to the beginning. When do you remember first becoming aware of Kiss and how? Uh, it's pretty easy because um, I have a brother who's eight years older than me. And so he was born in 66. So by the time he, you know, 11, 12, you know, so we're talking 1977, 1978. I was born in 74. We shared a room and he was a Kiss fanatic. So my earliest memories just kiss posters on the wall, the music. I mean, I, it's always like literally as, as far back as I can go into my memory, there's kiss. 
And I think, and I was, and I, and I, and I really think, and I'm, I'm not making this up. This is actually 100% true. I think my first memory as a human being is, is a kiss memory because my dad, my dad took my brother and some other neighborhood kids to see kiss in 77 at the forum. Cause we grew up in Southern California with cheap trick. Yep. Alive and, too. And and so I stayed up late with my mom. I remember watching TV with my mom and my dad and brother coming home and my brother having the tour book and the button that I was there yep. tour button and, and coming back in and, and seeing that stuff. I think that might be my first memory as a human being. That's not wow. bad. <laughs> no, not bad at all. Now, 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 did you like get really depressed and sad when they start when your brother started telling you how great the show was and you couldn't go no i think it was just it was just so larger than life and and just i mean we have pictures of me as kids where my brother would paint me like members of kiss like he'd you know testing the makeup and trying to figure out how to do it and so i i just was i i just was into it from the beginning it was not no jealousy just just waiting till I got old enough to actually go see Kiss. Was it was it music or makeup that grabbed you first? I've all, you know that you know the Kiss has always been first and foremost about the music. I mean, of course you couldn't separate it at the time there was such a big massive cultural phenomenon, but I mean I've always loved the, the music to this day. To this day I love the music, all eras. Well, you know, that's what, you know, it sounds cliche, but everybody says, and it's true, you know, if a song is being played 40, 50 years later, there's something good about the song. A good song isn't going to last 50 years. And Kiss I mean, Kiss has some great songs. I really feel like they're truly underrated in that way, because if you really look at them and you take their catalog of albums and you pull cherry pick the best songs from all eras there's a lot a lot a lot of really really top-notch songs that i don't think that there's many other bands that rival the quality level that kiss was able to produce over the years i mean there's a lot of great songs do you think that's a lot to do with just because of the image i mean like from your standpoint being in the industry as a musician touring musician how often do you run across people that you meet that are also musicians and you guys get to talking and you bring up the fact that you're a kiss fan? Are you, is it mostly like, yeah, cool. Or it's like, Oh, really? Um, you know, I think now that, you know, because obviously I'm in a band that's associated with alternative music. And I think at the time, you know, when in the early nineties, it was seen as kind of a reaction against what was the 80s, which had come before, especially 80s hard rock and heavy metal music, even though for people like me or for people like Billy Corgan in the band, hard rock and heavy metal was a very big part of who we were as developing as musicians. And and specifically in a band like Smashing Pumpkins, the music wouldn't be the same if it wasn't for that love of heavy metal. So for, for, for our viewers and listeners, um, Jeff turns out is using Mark's KISS router and we know how bad that KISS router is. <laughs> so we, we, we just we just disconnected the video and we've got Jeff on the phone now. So Yeah, I'm on my KISS kissonline.com account. Uh, there you go. <laughs> my dial up account. Putting quarters in as we go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
Um, so yeah. you you got cut off just where you were talking about how um, how Kiss was viewed by other musicians in your community, but you said things oh, yeah. changed about 1996. Yeah, I think when Kiss came back and reunited, I think everybody embraced the band, you, you know, to a certain degree, whether they were in love with the band in an authentic sense. I think people were, in general, excited to see what the hype was all about. Uh, I don't know yeah. if, if you know if you guys would agree or disagree. Oh, with oh, my oh take yeah. On that, I mean, I think there was a lot of. Yeah, well, yeah. I think there was a lot of bandwagon jumpers. There was a lot of people who felt it was now cool and safe to say they liked Kiss, even if they didn't. Well, you know, well, even before that, the the West Coast guys put out that uh, Nirvana and stuff put out that. Uh, in the Melvins, oh, uh, hard to believe. Hard to believe. I think yeah, hard man. to believe. I think it was which I, that, you know, to be honest, that predated, uh, you know, Kiss getting. Back. I think even I think I think even earlier than I thought. At the time, I thought it was terrible. I was like, these. these oh, it is terrible. Make no mistake. Terrible. <laughs> yeah, we're horrible. Yeah. Yeah, but it was Nirvana. So all of a sudden, it was like, wait a second, is, is there something cool about this? <laughs> I mean, not yeah, not not that yeah. I not that I was a big Nirvana fan, but it was like, wow! All of a sudden, this bands in this genre that you know were talking down to metal and hair metal and hard rock and everything else, all of a sudden were recording Kiss songs. And I remember my first reaction was, "What is Nirvana doing a Kiss song? I thought they hated these guys." It's but it's well the version. You know, I think shows how serious they took it. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's right? a good way to say it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think they were having fun, and, you know, and that's what it was. They, you know, they were just Well, you know, and, and, and I, we, we should all know by now, I mean, Dave Grohl is a huge Kiss fan. Huge. Oh, yeah. You know, I think, I, I mean, yeah. He's doing Everybody. barbecues. I mean, it's hard not to find. With Paul. Yeah. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Well, and, and I think to your point, too, I, I like what you had said earlier about how you feel that if you go through and cherry pick, they've got an awful lot of good songs. And I think the us as Kiss fans know that. But you say that to somebody that knows nothing about them and they just they look at you like you're out of your mind. And then, you know, like here in Minneapolis, we've got the Minnesota music disease where you have a bunch of local people who are elitist musical snobs that think that Bob Dylan literally created earth and everyone else sucks. It's, it's a whole yeah. weird thing. <laughs> Except the replacements and uh Husker do, right? And yeah, yeah. They love all of them too. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. The minute you <laughs> commercial fortunately, <laughs> fortunately not here in Detroit. <laughs> yeah. Um so so your your brother comes back from uh the recording of Alive to um when did you All right, well now let before I go into that. What was your go-to Kiss album back then as a kid? Which one did you th love the most? Probably Alive. I would spend just hours 
looking at obviously the, the you know that was the, back in the time when you would just look at the album covers for hours put the record on and just listen and that one is cool because they had that booklet in with the live photos and i think even some cards right that kind of came in that as well there was like a the kind of a sheet of something the original, the original, the original yeah the you know what my, that, that's that's what my brother had the originals as well he didn't have the first three albums separately because i think he probably got into kiss a live era and then got the originals whenever that came out so yeah i just remember looking at the originals a live one you know a lot yeah a live one is would have been my go-to album at the time yeah it's amazing what was your reaction when you heard destroyer because obviously we know back then it was a departure for Kiss, and it kind of confused some of the diehard fans when Destroyer was first released, because all of a sudden it's a slick production, and there's this ballad yeah. on here with pianos. And do you did you have any reaction to it? Well, for me, it was all the same because for the time that I really would have been really able to listen and discern what was going on, I think you would. I were already up to Dynasty. And so then it was just all this music already existed. So it wasn't so much a, like a, a reactionary feeling to like, oh my gosh, they've changed. It was just one of the elements that was already in play. Uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I described it as back then you were just, it was Kiss. It didn't matter. It was just another it's Kiss album. Kiss. It was and more it was, Kiss and more yeah, Kiss. Yeah, yeah. And, but I remember, you know, sitting there listening to the to Detroit Rock City over and over just the beginning just the car the car whatever the accident and the radio and the whole thing and it was just it just seemed you know when i really think about it it just seemed like it was like you couldn't even imagine what these guys lives were really like it was just so big and huge and epic and yeah that that intro to detroit rock city to me i thought it was great i you know i thought i still love that song still love that album, you know, I, I listen to that album less and less as time goes on. I, I don't like it as much as other albums of that time period, but, you know, I, which, I still which, think it's Which great. other albums from that period have grown on you more now? Um, well, I really do like Rock and Roll Over and Love Gun. It's like that pair, I think, is, is really kiss at, for that first part of the band at their height. They're that was super kiss for sure. Firing on, yeah. And then if you see like even bootlegs from like MSG, Madison Square Garden, was it like '77 or '76? There's like that kind of famous bootleg from the time, and it's just the band is phenomenal. It's kind of that era, really great. Hey, did you uh, what did you ever get into the Destroyer Resurrected? Because that that's actually been a go-to of mine since it came out. Um, I really I liked got it. The, I re- yeah, yeah, I got it. The, I remember I w- we were on t- tour with the Pumpkins the day that came out, and so I bought one of rare few times I bought something on the iTunes store because I still like to have physical product, but I had to hear it, and so I couldn't be somewhere. And yeah, I thought it was pr- pretty interesting. I I still, but to me, I I I go back if I'm going to listen to Destroyer nine times out of ten, I'm going to listen to the original studio recording. Cool. So, yeah. so when did you first see Kiss in concert? 
unfortunately, I did never saw the band until '96. Until really, really, yeah. Was yeah, it just yeah, a, never because circumstances prevented it? Yeah, you know, I mean, I still, my brother and I, we we still followed the band all through the '80s and got every album, you know. But you know, we we never went to the shows for some reason. We never went to the shows. Did your brother? Did your brother go to any shows after the um, Alive Two recording? Did he go to Dynasty? No, I don't think he went until the reunion either. But what a great show to which start! Is, with. Which, which, which is which is strange because we were very into the '80s era of Kiss. Interesting. But we never went. Yeah, we never actually went to shows until, and then since the reunion. We've both gone to dozens of shows. You know, my brother, you know, he's, he's still more adamant about going than even me, you know, and I've seen that, you know, two end of the road shows and he's, yeah, I've probably seen three or four, I think. Well, what was, so what was your impression then that when you finally did get to see them for the first time? Cause the reunion is a great place. I mean, time or time. Oh, I, I got to see him at the forum 96. It was, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. It was so good. You know I mean, it was it was so good. It was just. It, I think they did that because you know you would see interviews from that time and and especially particularly Paul Stanley would say things like, "We're going to give you the show." It wasn't really the show you would have saw in '77. It was the show you thought you saw in '77 because obviously technology had moved forward, so they couldn't just replicate that they did the 1996 version of that show and it was, it was just phenomenal. It sounded great. They were all still playing really good at the time. You know, it was, it was phenomenal. I loved it. Loved everything. I mean, I couldn't believe how good it was. Like it, it was just like 84 year old to be able to see it and have it be that good. I mean, just think about how many times you've gone to see a band where there's, especially a band like Kiss where there's, the legend was just so huge and then actually go and the band actually exceeds your expectations. <laughs> you know what I mean? That doesn't happen too often in music or anything in life where actually the experience exceeds your expectations. Tommy, your mic is muted. Jeff, hold on one second. Here we go. That was for <laughs> yeah. Mark because he had the video of that show. He just yeah he's got a videotape of the uh, of that show you went to. Oh, I just amazing. glance up. Either. I still have all my stuff in super good order. For stuff, I'm like, hey, that's the that's the L.A. show from '96. So <laughs> it's uh, kind of funny that you're talking. I I just caught in my corner where I'm like, hey, that's the one he was in. How many videos do you have of yeah. that tour? Who, me? Yeah. yeah. Christ, right. not every pretty darn close. <laughs> that was just a setup, wasn't it, Tommy? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't care what the answer was. You just wanted to ring the bell. She's getting, she's getting the bell no matter what he says. Yeah. There you go. Well, Kiss at that tour, they were they were ta they were filming every show pretty much, right? Yeah, but well, these, yeah. these were like the fan, you know, when, when back in the when we were trading, and you know, it was pretty intense. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I was so into that scene of, you know, I was going 
anything within eight hours of Detroit, I was filming, you know, Cleveland and Toronto and Chicago and Cincinnati and Dayton and, you know, wherever they were playing, you know, Pittsburgh, you know, I would just go and I'd oh, film. Yeah. And then I was able to then people who are out on the West Coast or down in Central, you know, I'd just start trading them all the shows. That way I always had first generations. You know, it was just crazy. It was just a fun time, too, because it was before YouTube and, you know what I mean? And, and, and it was, you know, such a fun time, you know. There was there was a Mark, natural hysteria have- going on for Kiss at that time, which was so, I don't know, for me as a Kiss fan, I felt so proud. It's like, yeah, finally the rest of the world gets this. Whether they're legit or not, I don't yeah. care, but my band is the most popular talked-about thing for a couple years. So, Mark, did you actually get special access where you were able to take your equipment in? Or, or was it completely, or you were just sneaking sneaking the stuff in? He was a bootlegger. Um, I, was, I was sneaking. You know, I, I will tell you, you know, because I used to joke about this. Well, I did. I used to joke about this. I'm like, here I am. I mean, think about it. You could be sneaking in anything. And, you know, I, I, was, I just yep. got really good at doing this tell tell the gene simmons <laughs> story again because it's been a while you tell them tell that story. oh this is a classic one so <laughs> i bought gene simmons's actual boots um from in the uh in the uh kiss auction this what it was at 2000 2001 whenever Something it was like that yeah and <laughs> I brought a hockey bag with the boots in them and I'd stick my fucking recorder all the way down in the boot and I'd bring them to the door and just say, I'm getting these signed and no one ever fucking questioned it. I'd take the camera out and film the show. I just love that. (laughs) You just got to act like you know where you're going and what you're You know what? I I have a good friend of mine said, he's like, act like you belong and you belong, you know? (laughs) <laughs> Look, I've got all kinds of, you know, just crazy. So how, how how do you act like you belong when you're standing in the middle of the audience with a video camera on your shoulder? Oh, and, that, and, a, no, secu- that and a security guard comes by. How do you act like you my, belong? My camcorder at the time was silver, so I used to have a black sock that I'd put on, on it, and I taped over the little red light, you know? So you could just <laughs> get the, the red. Oh, I, had, I had it down to a fucking science. I know I've shared this story. On, I think it was oh Grand Rapids. God, that's amazing. Amazing. <laughs> and I was filming, and this old woman, and it was um, it was during Beth. And if you remember, I think it was like Beth and then Black Diamond. It was the end of the show. <laughs> the videotape that I taped, you know, obviously to this day, I'm. Oh, this lady's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Nothing." Why? Because she was old as you know, dirt. You know. Uh, you know, she was a waiter at the Last Supper, as they say. You know, she was. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, so, so she's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, oh, "Taking some pictures." You can't do that. And I'm like, "Okay." And I'm thinking to myself, "Okay, honey, we've been standing here for fucking almost two hours. I've been. It's not like I was hiding it. You could see what I was doing." She gets on her little fucking radio. Uh, breaker one nine or whatever the fuck. <laughs> Next thing I know, man, here comes some fucking security people, and I kept filming the show as I'm running, in you know, running. Uh, 
And I, I end up. At least up. I have the audio. At least I have the audio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was exactly it. And then, uh, and then, you know, I don't know what happened. I set the camera on my, on my leg and I got all a black diamond and that was it. But I mean, I, I'm like, I'm not getting busted by some fucking old lady. That's just not fucking happening. No, I, again, I, I've shared a lot of these stories on the show. I, I, all kinds of crazy stuff that uh back in the day but it was a lot of fun you know that was it too you know it's almost like uh the saying that the chase is better than the catch you know what i mean it was yep. it was like go there film the show and then when i you know the next day and keep in mind this is all pre-internet next thing you know i'm making phone calls to my buddies across the country and of course they're all calling me did you tape you know did you go to chicago last night yeah did you tape you know just all that stuff it was fun you know it was uh it was a cool time it, to be a fan. We, we all can relate to this, I'm sure. But, I mean, think back to what you used to have to do to just sneak in, like, an Instamatic disposable camera, which they wouldn't allow. I mean, I've, I've, I remember shoving Instamatic cameras down my pants, and it's like getting in. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, I got a camera, and I've got the ability to take 24 pictures tonight. You know, and and how far it's advanced now. I was at I was at the Kiss show um, last Friday, and you know I'm having a great time, and I'm not worrying about recording it. But I had my Apple Watch on, and I'm like, Apple Watch? I've got voice memo. I wonder what it's like if I record the audio through my Apple Watch. So I I recorded about thirty seconds of Parasite just through my Apple Watch, holding it up like this. It freaking sounded as good as what your old bootlegs would sound like. I'm wow. like, I'm like, God damn! Now I can just record the audio for anything I want on my watch, and nobody will have a freaking clue. God, I wish we had that technology back then. I know Maybe. it's crazy how it's changed. Well, of course, everybody's in there with their HD and 4K smartphones now, videotaping everything. So. Well, look at on the cruise. These people but are putting like lots, but five cameras What's that? But lots of times those people are half in the bag, you know, and oh, they're yeah. waving the they're waving their phone. And it's just like, what are you taping for? It, it's going to look like crap. If I it, think most people who record those things now don't even watch them. I think they just do it to do it. Um, you know, some people put like the whole shows up on on youtube and stuff but you I, know. Couldn't, I couldn't do that i my arm would get tired if i held my phone up like this for you know two hours just right. couldn't do it i mean it's like I, I i took i think at the kiss show i probably videotaped i videotaped the whole start of the show detroit rock city just because it's an incredible beginning of a show but then fire breathing blood spitting but only like 40 seconds it was just like I want to get the the event and then stop. Yeah, the, there was people in front of me at the last show I was at that the guy literally filmed the whole freaking show like this. He had his arm above his head, was filming the whole thing, and I was just thinking, who you know, no one's gonna, you're never going to watch that. And I was watching the feed of it, the video. It looked horrible. So go figure. Do you, Jeff, did you ever bootleg? I, I never, I never, boot, well, no, I never bootlegged. I mean, I definitely bought a few, Kiss right. ones, you know, like I had owned 
we own what Cobo Hall, the, all the shows, and like I said, that MSG thing, and I think we had Anaheim Stadium. So you know, we definitely bought you know the historic history, but I never did it myself. But that's weird, though. You know, all those shows you're talking about, but then Kiss officially released them all on uh, on Kissology, and you know, or quite a few of them, you know, Winterland and all those great shows. Yeah. You know? So it's just so cool to have you know, have great copies of that stuff. Again, you know, that was just a fun time. Um, well, you were from the West Coast, so you, you really didn't have many chances to go to Kiss Expos or anything. Did you happen no, to go to the 95? No, no. Did you go to that one? Where Peter Chris? No, no. I wish. No, no, no. I didn't go to the Kiss Expos. Yeah, because that was a big thing, especially on the East Coast. You know, I'm in Detroit. But, you know, all my, my KISS buddies, we'd all, you know, head on out there and you know, we made all kinds of great friends because we were, you know. And also, too, if you if you remember, for the most part, the bigger KISS expos were in the Midwest. And, you know, Peter had his down in Orlando and stuff. But mostly, you know, Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit, you know, obviously New Jersey, New York was the was the Mecca. But, uh, man, yeah, those were. Hotbed of yeah, you really missed out, man. Those were those were. It's indescribable, really. The the best way to describe them is the fact that, you know, pre-reunion tour, you know, everything there was from the 70s, you know, in the 80s. There really, there was no garbage. It was like everybody's table had, you know, the best of the best stuff. And it was just all so routine, you know. And, and, was, and everything was available to purchase because there wasn't any concern about selling bootleg videotapes yet, cassette tapes, vinyl album bootlegs. You know, it was just a matter of how much money did you have to spend for how much you could walk out of there with. I mean, you could find everything. And I would have to assume pre-eBay, all that, the prices weren't anywhere near what they are now. The reunion tour jacked all that those prices up big time. Sure, sure. Yeah, those were those were great times. Again, you know, I I always take for granted from you know as a Kiss fan where I'm at, you know, kind of centrally located to the Kiss hotbeds. Yeah, in in L.A. there really wasn't. I mean, I know you guys had big record shows out there, but very few Kiss centered. I rem- um, I remember one Kiss Expo out in L.A. that I went to. In the mid to late 80s, because I think I was there for the Concrete Foundations Forum. I think there was a Kiss Expo in Long Beach put on by Dan Starr. Oh, my God. I used to get his catalogs. Yeah. Big, big, big photo photo collector. Yeah. 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 And I went to the expo and, you know, I had fun, but it was just like, oh, my God, it's just a small room and there wasn't a lot of dealers. You know, it was something where it's like <laughs> yeah. you could be done and out of there in one hour. It wasn't an all-day event. And it was just – and, yeah, you're right, Mark. I mean, for some reason, L.A., California, just the West Coast in general, has never been able to sustain fan expos. And maybe it's just because the the travel that's going to be required for a large number of people. That's You know, when you're in Detroit – you're, you can easily draw from the upper Midwest. When you're over on the East Coast, you draw all of these coasts. There's so many more people there. 
Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. It was very centrally low. I was especially. Again, think about it. Toronto, Cleveland, Chicago, Cincinnati, Dayton. You know what I mean? It was, uh, it was pretty, pretty good. Um, so, Jeff, yeah, I mean, it, it's you've, you've stated Ace Frehley is one of your biggest guitar influences, right? Sure, sure. So, Probably the first. Initially. The first? Yeah. So that, that's what I was going to ask yeah. you. Do you remember when you got the first thought in your head of, man, I want to do that? Very early. Very. I mean, I asked for a guitar private time at seven or eight years old, and and he was definitely the inspiration behind that because he's the first real guitar hero that I identified with. And um, luckily, you know, then luckily for me that when I became, you know, by the time I was 10, you're talking it's 1984, you, you know, guitar playing and guitar players in that genre were just at a peak, you know, Van Halen, Randy Rhodes, Ingve Malmsteen, Jakey Lee, all those guys. And so it, but Ace was really the first person that I said, that's, that's cool, and that's what I want to do. And he was always, at, you know, was always my favorite member. You know, um, so, yeah. Was was there a specific Ace solo or song that hooked you? My favorite of that early was I. Well, I, I mean. Because my brother would tell me, oh, you know, and shock me, you know, live. He did the smoking, you know, the smoking guitar and all that stuff. And so then we would listen to it on a live, too, and stuff. But when I started really listening closely to the music, my favorite solo was Firehouse. Mm. Cool. I love that solo on Firehouse. It's so, like, the rhythmic stuff he does is so cool. Just, it's really unique. What, what was the first Kiss song you were able to play on guitar? Oh gosh, probably I think I remember the the, the would, would have been um, the the riff to Deuce that opening riff. That's the first. That's the first Kiss song I ever tried to learn on guitar. After after you uh, kind of conquered that, did you go towards the Van Halen road sort of thing, or did you stay? Oh, in... for, oh, for sure. Yeah, I and to this day I still love all that that kind of more 80s kind of hard rock heavy metal guitar playing yeah i love all that stuff well did you, a, did you go back to the 70s guys at all i when what i mean by that is you know the 70s were just chock full of them or did you gravitate more put it this way did you go back to the claptons and the blackmores or did you gra and i'm assuming you did you you went more to the dockins and the and the van halen oh but yeah of course i've listened very deeply to to Clapton and Hendrix and Jimmy Page, uh, Jeff Beck is huge for me. Tommy Bolin was, a, oh, you know, I really well. got into Tommy Bolin. Um, Uli John Roth from the Scorpions as well. I really love him. That's uh, really yeah, great. I, I tell you why, because at your age, it would have been really tempting to just dive into the Warren D. Martinis and, uh, you know, and, and that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But even, like, someone like that's kind of both there, Michael Shanker, too, you know, is one of my, I love him very much, too. Well, I'd like to know from you guys, Mark, you know, Mark and Jeff, 
tell me what is it that you guys like about Tommy Boland? Okay. And the reason I'm going to, I'm asking this question is because he's someone that people that love him really love him, but yet he's also someone that not a lot of people know. So what is it about Boland that you love so much? He could play anything. Uh, he had jazz licks, blues licks, hard rock licks. I mean, I, I tell you what, the, the best way to answer that question would be to go get the Alphonse Mousson record. And and if I tell you, what, I'll give you a great example. You've heard Hot for Teacher, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Go, go, go check out Quadrant 9. You'll go, oh, I guess Eddie heard of Tommy Boland. Oh, yeah, Quadrant 4 by, by oh, quadrant Billy Cobb on the right. Spectrum. Yeah, 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 that that solo on Billy Cobb, I said Alphonse I mean, Moussa. I'm sorry, put it this way. Yeah, but he, did play, but he did play with Alphonse Moussa. He, played, he, did, he did a record he did. with him as well. He did, so you're not, no, that's, but yeah, Quadrant 4 was with Billy Cobb, and it is, it is a double bass, super upbeat, hot for teaser kind of beat, and the solos that Tommy Boland does are, are really cool, but even some of the, the sonics that he does, he because he used to use the Exoplex, and he would make kind of these like spacey space ray gun type of sounds way before Steve Stevens was doing it. I'm sure Steve Stevens actually was probably inspired by that because I'm sure he would have been super into that record. I, um, I think once you start yeah. getting into bowl and you start diving in, because the stuff he did with the James Gang. Uh, just some great playing on that. Obviously, the Deep Purple stuff. But you know, the the the, the, the keep in mind too. When he died, I think he was only twenty five. Yeah, so, I mean, this guy's young. This guy pumped out a ton of music in a very very short time, and he was playing again everything from jazz. And, and that's another. His two solo albums are quite different. And, uh, you know, uh, between Private Eyes and Teaser, and you know Tommy, you're a big Motley Crue fan. You know, the song Teaser that Motley yeah. Crue did, that's a Tommy Boland song. Yep. And But but that's what I mean. Listen to that. You know, he's just got a great hard rock <laughs> riff. And then on that very same album, you know, Quadrant, or, uh, not what's the Marching Powder? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a great one. Yeah, 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 that's a great one. Just if you, I tell you what, Tommy, I, I think the best way to answer that is get the teaser album. It, it, it's got all these different styles. And not only is it all these different styles, he's playing as, as meticulous and beautiful. And he just plays with such feel. I mean, just an incredible yeah, play. Where's that song on that album too, Savannah Woman, where he oh, plays all like the really yeah. West Montgomery type of style. I mean, so it it really does. He plays this really that hard rock, and that stuff, and then to yeah, oh. to West Montgomery to to fusion, which was at the time, and it's strangely all. It's kind of a, a weird mixture of stuff, but it all kind of works. I think the next album, Private Eyes, was a little more centered in its kind of genre, more just kind of hard rock. You know, I, not I as diverse in its material. Sounded though, it just sounded rushed because I always thought like post toasty was cool, but it 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 I don't know it it, it just didn't have the a, a nice put it this way. I think teaser is very organic, where I think private eyes is like you said, it's a little bit more structured and not in a good way. Um, yeah. Less inspired, maybe you would say that. And I think, considering what, when you learn about his life and what he was going through, I think that was towards the tail end, and maybe a little bit of a drug haze going on there. So maybe not as focused. It, I mean, 
I don't know if that does that maybe sound accurate to you, Mark? Yeah, as a as a as a Tommy Bolin mm-hmm. aficionado, my biggest thing is I've always had to explain away last concert in Japan, which was a, a live record that that was released um, through Deep Purple. That was the show that Tommy he had a his, he whenever he was shooting heroin, he like hit a nerve or whatever. He could barely play. And they released the record anyway, because I've had people go, that's like the worst record I've ever heard. And, I'm like, and it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. Matter of fact, there's a story, and I think the story's on YouTube. Here's how out of it Tommy was. And it, there's John Lord, the keyboard and keyboardist in Deep Purple, tells the story. He's like, Tommy kind of saunters over. It's right as the song Burn, the opening. You know, they're making the noise, the opening. <laughs> And he says it to John, how does the riff go? Oh, man. And, oh, okay. You know, that's how out of it he was on on that. And and the sad part is, again, that was some people's introduction to Tom Purple. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying, through that live record, and if you hear that, it's fucking abysmal. Well, and I've heard the teaser album, but like I said, I've, I've, I, I, I know people who love Tommy Boland, and that kind of a thing is always fascinating to me, that when they like an artist, they really like him, but yet there's so many people who've never heard of him before. So that's why... Yeah, but you know what? Yeah. Stuck the out Deep Purple album, Come Taste the Band, oh, is... Incredible. Phenomenal playing, and you know, between him and Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale, I mean, like, Wow. It's. I mean, it it, it doesn't really sound like classic Deep Purple. It's a, it's a kind of a dirtier, funkier kind of thing. But wow, the the plane is phenomenal. What a great record. You know. You know. While while you and I love this discussion, but I'm sitting back here going, my my thoughts as you're saying all this is, I never thought I'd have a Kiss podcast where Mark, and the guitarist of the Smashing Pumpkins would be going <laughs> fanboy on Tommy Bolin. Tommy <laughs> Bolin. <laughs> It's just fantastic. Well, you know couldn't plan this. It, and much like Jeff said with the, you know, the Savannah woman, I I would say go and uh, and go to the the come taste the band record and listen to Getting Tighter is the name of that song. Oh, the Bonnet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is just that is quintessential hard rock Tommy Boland. I'm, I'm just telling you, it, you, you'll be happy you did if you read if you discover that record through this podcast. So, so, so I'm I'm going to take a cue from Paul Stanley on Kiss Alive too. Tonight we're turning the microphone over to Mark Cicchini. I'm done now. Tommy Bolin. <laughs> you've you've used up all your airtime today, Mark. <laughs> I'm done. He's yeah. gonna, he's well, look, Hold because on, wait a second. Jeff is every bit as geeky about this as I am, so don't dump this all on me. Yeah, but he's the special guest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't dump on we don't dump on our guests. So last thing last thing about Tommy Bullet, I think you'll agree with this, Mark. Amazing guitar tone as well. Mm-hmm. Like like just one of those guys who because it's hard, it's it's not an easy thing to play the Fender Strat and have it sound big and fat like he did. And he was able to you know, in the, especially having to fill in the shoes of Richie Blackmore, who had that big, fat, strat Marshall sound. You know, Tommy Bone was able to come in and just and do it. But like, yeah, what a what a hard gig! What a hard gig to go and replace Richie Blackmore. Not 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 something that I'd like to do. 
Well, yeah, because you you have half of the fan base against you when you start, you know, just because they like Richie so much. That's got like a friend of ours, Donnie. Huh? Sounds like Sounds a friend of ours. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's almost an impossible situation to be put in, you know, really. So can we start talking about Kiss again? Yeah, we'll start talking about I know. Let's... <laughs> Before everybody hits the stop button. Well, that's already happened. No, I ser- seriously, I, I, I love, you know, even if even if you everything you're talking about is sort of like, I mean, I know Tommy Boland, but I'm not a geek about it like, like these guys are. Yeah. But it's still very cool discussions to sit in on. Um, Jeff, so... What what did you think of the Kiss guitarist transition? Since you were such a huge influence, you, you know, Ace Frehley was a huge influence on you. And, of course, as you've said, you love the 80s stuff as well. But clearly, like, once Vinnie Vincent and Mark St. John and Bruce Kulick got in the band, that wasn't an Ace Frehley style sound, anything about it. It was a, it was a new guitar sound and style and tone and everything for Kiss. Was that a shock to you? Um, no, not, I don't think so. I think that, you know, I think Kiss had, had to adapt to the eighties. And if you, now, if we look at this with, with hindsight and you know, you can go back and you can listen to even how ACE was playing through the eighties on Brilliant's Comet live, you know, whatever, what live plus one, you know, those, you know, he wasn't, he was, he actually had adapted his playing to the eighties. He was playing a lot more flashier stuff, even himself. So, if, you know I mean? So I don't think it was that strange because I think it was just so much part of the time. And to be honest, as a KISS fan is, uh, and I, you know, no disrespect. And I'm just like, I feel like I'm in a lucky position in that you have so many great guitar players to listen to. Vinnie Vincent playing with KISS at the rock, whatever, Rio de Janeiro, the last of the, the last Creature makeup shows. Show. Yeah. I, I, I love, I mean, I know some people hate like, cause he kind of strayed away from Ace of Souls, but I thought the fire and passion of what he was playing was just unbelievable. Those are some of my favorites. Like I, I watch that all the time. I think that I've, I've, I've Vin- enjoyed Vinny's playing in Kiss because it was so restrained, basically. For Vinny Vincent, you know, Gene and Paul pulled the reins back on on you know the the bumblebees that he would be playing solo <laughs> well, in a few years. Sure, sure. So, so, so when 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 he was in the band, yeah. it was like, okay, I can, I can, I can listen to this and I can appreciate it. As soon as he went solo, I'm like, what the hell? Where did this come from? Well, I mean, on Lick It Up, he's really restrained. It's like you don't even, I don't even think about there being that much lead guitar on that record. You know, even though I know that there is, but you know what I'm saying? There's not a lot of over the top playing on that album, which the which is because on Animalize, you know, mostly Mark St. John. I know Bruce Ghost played a couple solos on there too, but it's pretty over the top playing on a lot of those tunes. Yeah, yeah. It's almost yeah. like for one album, yeah. Kiss tried to be the 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 shredder and realized they just <laughs> it's not cut out for Kiss, and you know, and and this isn't to be looked at as a 
put down to Bruce. All right, let's get Bruce in and we'll we'll, we'll pull things back a little bit here. Bruce is a great <laughs> player, but he's not in the same school as the Mark St. John, Vinnie Vincent. Of... <laughs> no, no, no. But, he, you know, he did a great job of, I think, taking the classic Kiss guitar sound and updating it for the times, which if you see interviews with him, he was very self-aware of what he was asked to do. And I think he did it. You know, I think I think he did a great job. And I think he's a great, great guitar. I love Bruce Kulick. And in fact, I had a Kiss, Bruce Kulick Kiss moment this morning. Um, I had to go and uh, test out some microphones for this company, Blue Mike, Blue Microphones. Yeah. And they had an engineer there that was helping, you know, demonstrate the mics. And he said, oh, you know, I was telling him I was going to be on the show today. And he said, oh, I worked with Kiss. I said, what album? He said, I worked, I was an assistant engineer on a live three. Mm-hmm. And then he said, then I worked on Bruce Keelick's one of his solo albums. But, and so then of course I, you know, immediately started just asking him a live three question. And then the geek comes well, yeah, out. Exactly. <laughs> and well, he was just like, kind of like, and again, it's like that thing of like, people are like, why do you care so much about this stuff? You know? <laughs> I'm like, because I gotta know, like, you know, because I asked him, said, how much of a live three is live? And he said, well, he said a lot of it from his recollection was taken from sound checks. Mm. Like they had, oh. they did a lot of, lot of, they did a lot of that recording, not necessarily in, you know, in the studio, although he said maybe some of it was repaired. He said, but a lot of the initial performances came from sound checks. Well, Jeff, you're always welcome and safe here to talk about Kiss. So. <laughs> I know, this, this is a safe place. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. Well, and, and Bruce, let's face it. He's, I think he's an incredible musician and he had, uh, he has really given quite a body of work to the Kiss fans through all those records. And I've had this discussion with him before. The bigger issue for me is the sound of the way some of those 80s records were recorded. You know, that has always been the issue. It's never been the songs or the guitar playing or any of that. It's always the, the end result. You know, well, I, and they're not the, and they're not the only band that suffers from that. Unfortunately, it was, no. you know, sign of the times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because it's like and, and it's and I think maybe because part of it is you get spoiled when you listen to a live, which is just so full. You know, what a great sounding record or creatures, or you can, you know, name a bunch of them. Yeah. And that's why I think sometimes Bruce may not get the due that he deserves, because that's the odd thing in seeing this, uh, you know, end of the road tour. What I've noticed recently, because I was watching for it, is how many people are really into the 80s songs when they start playing, you know, Heaven's on Fire or Tears Are Falling. People are like, yeah, they, you know, that really made an impact for a lot of the fans that show up at those shows. Do you guys think that they could play more, like even say three to four more eighty songs and get away with it? Or do you do you feel like the way that they kind of, the way that Paul and Gene present is like, well, we're we're do we're doing this because this is kind of what the fans are expecting. But and I, I know well, that that's I a big point. Of I think it's actually a pretty good the, balance yeah. right now because I mean you got to think mm-hmm, about it. Mm-hmm. I mean they've got. Uh, Two songs off of Creatures, which even though it's a makeup album, it was an 80s album. They've got Lick It Up. They've got Heavens on Fire. They've got Tears Are Falling. But there's three songs, Mike, that have, 
if you want to talk about straight up hits, forever should be included. Yep. It's top 10. Hard luck woman, as I've mentioned before, top 20. And although not in the United States, but, um, although, you know, you could say the same thing about crazy nights, but, um, God gave rock and roll to you. I mean, that certainly got it. I don't know about your neck of the woods, but that got a shitload of airplay here in the Midwest. Um, those, those three songs are bonafide. I mean, people will know, even if you're a casual fan and I, and this is something Michael, you and I have talked about before. Christine 16 was top 20, but I, you know, with the climate now, maybe that's, which I still find kind of laughable, but it should be Christine 16. They don't play play anything off of revenge, right? Uh, no. And I wish they would drop. I love it loud. No. Unholy. You don't I'd drop anything from Rangers. I think that'd be cool. It just think, doesn't happen. I think that'd be. I'd be fine with it, but I'm also. I, I thought the set list was really good. I felt like yeah. it was a really good mix and balance of classic and eighties, and you know, listen, they did threw, they, they did threw they say play, did they I did oh did they put I was going to ask you did they drop. Say yeah, or did nope. they play that the other say, night? Say yeah, still in there. So listen, you know, okay. I, not 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 a song I would go to, but it worked. It fit. It sounds okay. Um, I love that it's there, and I love the placement of it. Yeah, it worked. It worked. It worked. It worked. It worked fine. I think. I think if they did more '80s songs. It might not actually be, and and listen, this is coming from a guy who is a huge '80s Kiss fan, and there's a lot of '80s stuff I'd love to hear. I mean, I was smiling ear to ear when they played "Tears Are Falling." I was just like, "Oh, yeah. this is freaking incredible!" It sounded great. Sounded you know, great. Like, I think that, and that's no, the one that's song one we don't ever best. talk about is. Uh, Reason to live. That was number one MTV video, you know, for. Yep. But 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 you know, as as Tommy Thayer said at 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 the <clears throat> evening with you know, and it's quite obvious a lot of those '80s songs, Paul was just singing at such a <laughs> high level he couldn't do that anymore. Just couldn't. That's true. Yeah. Well, and we were we were having a chat with Tommy at one of the last couple of shows that we were at. We were talking about set list, ironically, and one of the ones that I had brought up was King of the Nighttime World. Not that they should necessarily add it, but just it's one of those Kiss songs I absolutely love. Um, and he had said, you know, I was really surprised. Like, I like that song, too. But he said it just didn't get the crowd reaction when we played it in the past. So I think a lot of their set list is dictated to them as far as how they look back out in the crowd and see the reaction well, from the people. Jeff, Jeff, let me turn that into a question for you, since you're in the Smashing Pumpkins and you guys do a lot of touring and you play big shows. Mm-hmm. When it comes to putting together a set list, is that a factor where you're like, okay, this song has to be here, even though it's not maybe everybody's favorite song, but it gets such a great reaction, we have to do it. As opposed to other songs where you're like, man, we all want to play this, but we tried it that one time and the crowd was just like quiet. Oh, I mean, all the time. I mean, that that's that is the reality of the of the business. And um, I mean, we, you know, like Kiss, we probably have 
anywhere between 10 to a dozen songs that are just, you can't even, you have, you have to play them. If you're doing a two, two and a half hour set, like there's no, you know, there's no question about whether people are going to be bummed out if you don't play them. So you have to realize like uh, the real estate of putting together a set list, a good portion of it is already taken up by things that you have to do. And then, so I really empathize with the kid situation because you have, you really talking about most tours, four to five songs, six songs that you can kind of play around with what's going to be there because the rest is, kind of already set in stone if you're doing you know yeah well so jeff that well so then what do you do in a situation like this correct me if i'm wrong and and maybe you can go deeper into this you're doing a bunch of shows this summer with guns and roses correct yeah Uh okay do you know yet how long your set will be for those shows yeah i think we get to play just an hour Okay, so then going from a two-plus-hour set when you're headlining to doing the support, then do you, do you just take, okay, here's the 12 we've got to do, and then now you've got two or three to play around with? I think, I think for, yeah, and I think for something like that, you know, because, you know, we look at it as, as, a, as a good opportunity to play with a crowd, in front of a crowd that's more, up the middle rock than we would maybe normally play with you yeah. know? and i think they'll be surprised at how heavy that we actually are or can be right and so i think for us we're more of like the way we've talked about it is yeah we're gonna play songs that obviously they know but also we want to kind of maybe we'll choose specific songs that that will be of the more harder rock side of the band than maybe going like well Tonight, tonight, or 1979 was a big hit. We'll probably, I mean, we'll, we'll probably play that one of those songs, but maybe one of the other more ballady type of songs that were a hit, we probably won't do in lieu of playing something that's going to hit people a little bit harder. So at least they, you know, for if you're a Guns N' Roses fan, you're like, yeah, I remember that band, the Pumpkins from the '90s. They haven't really been keeping up. It's, so you want to, we want to send the message more like, wow, that really that really fucking rocked like holy shit like had no idea maybe i'll go check it out when they come in you know they come through town next time more something like that for when you're when you only have a limited amount of time you're not necessarily going for for the wit you're going more like okay what's what's the one message you want to send people away with you know which i think is a great way to look at it i i agree it's a wonderful opportunity to expose yourself to even more rock and roll fans that may not know the material all that well. Yeah. And, you know, and strangely, because, you know, doing, we've done festivals and stuff before. We're just like, okay, we're just going to play the straight hits, you know, nine or 10 songs, line them up. And people actually kind of tune out after a while. Really? Because it, it, because it's, it's sometimes they want, you have to kind of do things to set up a hit song, you know, you have to maybe play something that's going to give the hit song a little bit of space. And then when you play it, people are excited to hear it. You know, it's like, you think cause hit after hit sometimes doesn't actually work. I was, you know, just, and I think I that's like, say, Kiss. yeah, I was going to say hit after hit sometimes can be a little tiring for the audience and, and not necessarily is, in a know, bad way, like, but yeah, I mean, it's like, oh my God, again and again and again. You know, it's sort of like you need to have a breather so you can come back exactly, again and exactly. shock the people. 
Well, and you see, like, Kiss always has those, over the years, they've built those moments into the set, 100,000 years, you know, where they kind of break things down. It's not a hit song, but it's a song that's effective because when you go into a, a maybe a quote-unquote hit song after that, it feels different because you just sat through eight minutes of something else, like a totally different feel, a totally different vibe. So when you're playing on stage and you're at a, in a festival crowd, let's just use that as an example, and you're saying that it, that it – it almost gets to be too much for them if you're hit after hit. How, how do you know you've reached that spot? What's the difference? Because I think like Tommy, they, I was going to say like Tommy, they, you really can feel sometimes like just lose the band lose like the energy. Really? The oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 You definitely feel it on the other side of the fence and you're going like, wow. Okay. Like, wow. We're not getting anything. You would assume you would think we played songs that were, because a song like, you know, in Pumpkins, we have songs that like maybe King of the Nighttime World is a Kiss fan favorite. People like you, people like me who grew up listening to those records. Now, is that the casual fan that's going to know that song? No. Is that the, the, is that the fan that listens to the Kiss Spotify playlist? Probably not. Even though to us, you're like, well, that's like a classic. That's a fuck. That's a that's, that's a bona fide Kiss classic. Right. But maybe not to the to the you know to the more casual fan, and I think that's more what you you run into. And when you're a band like Smashing Pumpkins or even Kiss to play these bigger shows, you know you got to realize like half of your audience is at least the more casual fan, the person that's going like, "Wow, I haven't really seen those guys since the '90s or heard it. like you know, let's go with you know." get get the babysitter or the kids are our way to college, take the wife, let's go out to the show and experience it. They may not know the deep catalog anymore. They just know like kind of the highlights. From a touring standpoint, Jeff, you know, how much leeway does the band have to just say, you know what, tonight we're just doing a freaking deep cut set list. We're changing it up and, you know, we're going to play the songs we love that the diehards love and it might be fewer of the hits because you know because there's some bands out there that that do that it's just like all of a sudden out of the blue it's just like you know two hours of unheard songs is is that a reality can that be done um like for example yes and no depending where the venue what type of tour you're doing and and the types of venues you're playing and the type of production that you're carrying. So for example, in end of April, May, we're, we're basically playing two big festivals, Shaky Knees in Atlanta and Beale street in Memphis. And those, but we're setting up like a 10 show theater run to kind of play in between those festival dates. And so for those smaller shows, we're going to carry less production and go in and just play like a really heavy, aggressive, more deep cut type of set, you know, but obviously the festivals have to be more like the greatest hits type of show. But when we do like in 2018, we did like a big arena run. We can't change the set at all. The set never changed from show one to show 38 of that arena tour. It was exactly the same because the technology of the production, the video screens, the lights, it's so, 
the, the technology is so complicated that you can't have the light show and the video show that you want to have if you don't do the same thing every night. So I get why KISS, because they have a very complicated show. They're not going to change because the lighting program, they can't work on the fly like that anymore. But I'm glad you said you that know, because that's the big yeah. argument sometimes with some of these fans is it's not like it's not like they're playing in a club with no production and just some basic house lighting. You have all this technology. You can't just change it on a whim. Not at all. Not at all. Because even the soundboard is all digital these days. And so it's not like the guys just up there and got like a few faders and just kind of pushing stuff around. It's like all the the effects that go on the vocals and the drums are, you know, really tailored song to song because, because of the digital technology, you can really do that. You can make things sound different from song to song, but that requires programming time. And to, to say, if we walked into a show at an arena that told everybody, Hey, we're going to do a completely different set. It wouldn't even, it would look terrible. Your, your crew would kill because, you. <laughs> They would kill, they would be so upset because, yeah, and that's the thing is these bigger tours, you work for weeks. You know, for the big last arena run we did, we, we did six weeks of rehearsal and pre-production, you know, of the band rehearsing, getting it all down, you know, every nuance of the sonics down, and then you go into lighting programming, video programming. It takes a long time. It, you know, it's very, very, very labor-intensive work. You know, that's why I think some people don't realize it's not like just showing up and jamming it out. Not well, it, yeah, it's, song remains the same. It, it's, <laughs> you know it's, I mean? it's not, not song what remains the same anymore. Yeah, it's not what people think <laughs> of old school concerts where there's one guy pushing buttons, turning on and off each light, and one guy on each song individually adjusting faders as it's happening. It's all pre-programmed out, and when the song starts. The computer just does boom, 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 and does it all for you. Kind of. You know what I mean? Someone still has to do, like, at the appropriate times for bands that aren't totally on, you know, backing tracks or something. But I think so a band like us, a band like Punk, like where we're still out there, you know, Kiss, we're still playing. Someone's got to move and press the lighting cue at the right time, but all the big moves are already programmed. Because I mean, I mean, looking at looking at like the end of the road production, I couldn't imagine just the the lighting, lasers, and pyro all being a hundred percent manually triggered. You couldn't time it. No way. You couldn't time it. No. But there's four guys. Yeah, I can yeah. tell you that I've seen this. There's at least four or five guys backstage that are just doing video production. Right. They've got boards set up along the hallway or different areas, like kind of behind and off to the right of, or left of the stage. And everyone has their station and they have the video monitors up and they all have a different job. It's it's really quite um, an organization. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. So That's, what I mean. a, That's what I mean. Like, yeah. No, go ahead. Please finish your thought. No, so, to even to, so even to come in and say we want to play one song different in the middle of a tour, it would, is like, you'd have to give like a couple of days notice. And so people could program what the heck's going to go on with the lights and the video screen. Like while that song's going on, that's why you can't just show up and be like, Hey, we want to play this so, song. So let, let's all have great appreciation for somebody like Chick Trick, <laughs> who yeah. every show is a brand new set list, but it's part, it's primarily because they don't have a huge production. 
No. They can call they can call an audible at any moment and it's not going to hurt anything. And those guys no. that work with them for the most part, many of those guys have been with them for so many years, they know the songs just as well as the band does. So it's easy to make those on the fly changes because they kind of know what's coming. Jeff, can you walk us through at least for Smashing Pumpkins how the set list is actually the songs are picked and put together? Is it is it hundred percent Billy just saying this is what it's going to be? Is it an entire band effort? What what goes into putting together the set list? Uh, you, usually, how it starts is you know. Um, It'll be kind of a general concept, like, hey, I want to do this. I think for this tour, like Billy would be like, he, I think he said, like, I want to do play it like heavier, more aggressive on this run. And then kind of get everybody's, yeah, that sounds fun. Everybody's on board. Let's do that. He'll usually then send like a pretty wide ranging set list of more, you know, more songs than we'll be able to play. Everybody then would kind of take a look at that and go, that's interesting, that's cool. Definitely not going to do that. Or, And then we'll kind of go into rehearsal with maybe 10 songs too many. And we'll just kind of do rough versions of different songs. Just because cause sometimes how you hear a song in your head is right. much different than when you actually play it in the room. And you're like, you know what? I thought that song would work, but it's just not feeling right. And the song that... And so then that's how we start going through and going, that's in, that's out, that's it. You know what I mean? And then start honing it down and then kind of grouping songs together. Going like, okay, well, those two songs, those three songs are really good together. So we need to transition from there and just kind of start building it kind of that way. So it usually starts with Billy putting together a list of it. Then we just all get in the room and kind of work out the arrangements. So you, you know how Kiss have... Tommy and Eric, who seem to be the ones always going, hey, let's do this song. Let's try this. Let's rehearse this. Let's consider this. You know, because Gene and Paul are just, they know what they want. They know what they can do. But it takes an outsider to push to get something added. Like, you know, Tommy, you were in, in the evening with Tommy Thayer. He was talking about, you know, how he would, he was, they would suggest adding an elder song. And Gene and Paul are like, no, nobody would want to hear an elder song. And this is for the Kiss Cruise. And they do, and everybody loves it. So does the Smashing Pumpkins have a Tommy slash Eric who's always pushing to get a little bit more obscure, deeper cut in there? Um, Maybe not on the, I mean... Not as much on the set list because Billy's always wanting to try and sneak in as many deep cuts as possible. He would prefer to play the least amount of hits. You know, if anything, we've been criticized for not playing the hit songs. You know, so we have so it we don't really have that problem. You know, but uh, but Billy does use me because you know I just like Tommy. I you know I was a fan of the band before I was in the band, and so. He'll actually use me as a consultant with management over, you know, T-shirt designs or archival stuff that they're going through to try and find out some live releases to go like, what would fans, what do you think fans would be interested in? So I do participate in things like that. 
So we, we, I shouldn't assume because we've got a lot mm-hmm. of very young Kiss fans, but Smashing Pumpkins, before you were in the band, um, did open for Kiss Halloween 1998 at Dodger Stadium. Um is Billy a Kiss fan? Does Billy have any? Massive, has he shared? Oh, does, yeah. Has he shared stories with you? Oh yeah. He was, um, was I mean, we, we, we talk about we we. I mean, we talk about. Yeah, he was. He said, "Yeah, he was." And he got to said he told me it was at Tiger Stadium. And he got to stand on the side of the stage. Yeah, he stood right next to me for a while. Um, yeah, yeah. Like he said it was Tommy. Very sur- <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> he said it was surreal because during you know someone during the show when someone was Peter Chris was doing this solo or Ace was doing so Gene came to the side of the stage and stood next to Billy and like put his arm around him or something. He said like you know I couldn't believe it there I was watching you know Kiss from the side of the stage. No, he's he Billy and I have spent many 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 uh, countless hours talking about Kiss and not only just an appreciation of the music but what you've learned what we've learned is that anything as a, a band that, that like say smashing pumpkins that we're going through in a business perspective, kiss has probably already gone through the scenario. And so you can actually look to them and see what decisions they've made, right ones, wrong ones and go, cause there's a, they have a certain wisdom in what they've done and the fact that they've been able to stay around and be successful for so long. That's interesting. Um, that I think that, that, they, that they're kind of a, more of a, you know, not only just a musical blueprint and a musical influence, because we do love the music. And in more recent times, we've, we've covered songs like we, couple before uh, Jimmy came back, we had a different drummer and a different bass player. We did, um, we were doing Black Diamond live, and our drummer sang it, and he could sing it really well. And we, I mean, we used to play it every night. Um, even that, that's in more recent years. Um, what, just a real, really real, real, real quick side to that. What was your audience's reaction to you guys playing Black Diamond? I think they loved it. I think people people loved it. Did they know right. it was Kiss, yeah. or did they just think, oh, this must be, I'm a casual fan, this must be a deep smashing I think people kind of knew it was Kiss. I think people knew it was Kiss. I think people knew it was Kiss. Yeah, I think it was. It, you know, and it was kind of a nod because, you know, they didn't know our drummer could sing so well. And, you know, I think it was just kind of blew people's mind. And, you know, in fact, one time, I don't know, we just thought it was funny. You know, we were playing somewhere in South America and we opened and closed the show with it. Mm. <laughs> people, thought it was, people thought it was so weird like, like the second time we went into it we did it the very first song and then did the, the you know the encore came out and then closed the show with it people just i think people thought that was strange but uh, <laughs> we, we, we just thought it was so funny because we were just so into it at the time it was like the funnest song of the set to play um, yeah well, and, you know and oftentimes when we choose we when we choose covers we choose to learn songs like that because we want to learn something about why those songs are effective. Cause it, cause then you draw it into your own songwriting and your own way of putting songs together. And, but you can listen to it, but when you learn and you play it, you, you kind of get in deeper into the DNA of it. And I think that that's why, you know, we would do things like that. 
Well, and it's interesting that you say that because I have several friends all are that are musicians and we inevitably were having conversations about one thing or another. And it always comes back to, well, what would Gene and Paul do in this situation? That's kind of become the thing, you know, like how long are we going to have a conversation today before we start talking about Kiss? And people that don't, that aren't Kiss fans don't understand that. But to your point, you're right. There's a lot of wisdom there. You can kind of look at, at some of the choices they've made and go, hmm, okay, this works for me or no, it doesn't because of that, you know? I, I don't know. I just think that's a really interesting way to look at stuff. Yeah, and that's what I think. Like, you think as a band, every situation is unique to you, but it's really not. And then you look and, you like you say, you know, like, well, you know, Kiss has had numerous band members and somehow they were able to put it back together and then they've had those original members leave and people argue and stuff. But you know what? They're doing better business than ever. And so there's a certain, there's something that they know and they've been able to figure out that it really works. And, you know, yeah. and if you've been, and if you've been in the business long enough, you can't have anything but respect for that. That's a good point. Jeff, are, for, for the KISS fans that are out here that listen to music with blinders on, meaning, oh, if it isn't KISS, I don't listen to anything. If you were to say, go check out this Smashing Pumpkin song because it was influenced by KISS or might have a remnant of a riff that sounds familiar to KISS or something where you as a KISS fan just go, dude, this is a great song that would fit perfect for KISS fans. Is there a song in the Pumpkins catalog you could point a KISS fan to? Yeah, I think um, we did this song on an album called Monuments to an Elegy, and the song is called Antihero. Um, and I think it kind of has a little bit of of that Kiss feeling. It, it was a strange record because uh, at the time, it, you know, the band was really just Billy and I, you know, and we didn't have a drummer <laughs> or anything. So we actually Tommy Lee played on that whole record. So it's me, Billy, and Tommy Lee on that track. And it, I think it has a, so it has a little bit of kiss, a little bit of crew. It has that kind of, that kind of what we would call that kind of, you know, that street feel to it. And so I think that comes from, from being into that kind of music. I think that would be a good place to start for sure. Anti-hero off of monuments for analogy. But, but, I'm going to check that out. Yeah. So am I for sure. Yeah. Before we. Um... Yeah. Yeah. I mean. And that 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 throws people for a loop that we actually had Tommy Lee play on one of our records. I I never <laughs> knew that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was great. Tommy, you know, we were we were sitting around working on the demos in the studio and and I you know, I said, You know who would I went to him, I said, You know who would sound awesome on this song? And I and he goes to I go I said, Tommy Lee. And he goes, Let's just call him. He's like, I got his number. Let's just let's just hit him. So he texted him within like an, an hour. He was like, send me send me some time. I'm interested. And then ended up working out. That's, that's awesome. very cool. That's awesome. That's gotta be that's gotta be cool <laughs> for you as somebody who obviously grew up in the the eighties, loving eighties hard rock, you know, which was all Motley Crue, that Christ, Tommy Lee's coming in to play on this song. Oh, it was so cool. And, you know, once we finished the record and we got the mixes back, you know, Motley Crue was on whatever their farewell tour. 
and they played uh, and you may know this venue they played whatever Tinley Park yeah in yeah. Chicago yeah <laughs> yeah Tinley Park right you know and you know I've played there with the pumpkins and stuff I, I've never seen that place so packed I think that they said that there was I think 25,000 people there like it was like you know obviously the the pavilion was full but the the, the lawn was whatever packed. behind it it just went on for I mean I've never seen so many people there and but it, how exciting was it that after the show we went into Tommy's dressing room and you know and he has a crazy he has a stereo system that is essentially like a nightclub PA system that they set up in his dressing room I mean it's like literally like PA speakers that he sets up in his dressing room and we got to play him the new you know the new record and you know like at ear splitting volume and he was just so cool and he was super excited and super supportive. And yeah, just, just, it was a really great experience. Very cool. I was actually at that show. Um, but uh, I was up, I was up closer towards the front, so I couldn't see the crowd of people, but I had heard that there was just like a massive crowd out there. Cause you, you know, with yeah, Tindley, yeah. you just see so far. Yeah. Yeah. I know that I know that they, I only knew because that's what he told us. He they said they were just like, wow, like there was an insane, insane amount of people there that night. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens to him this summer. Je- Jeff, before we um, wrap up here, have you while you've been in the pumpkins, have you had an mm-hmm. opportunity to do a show with Kiss? <laughs> Whether obviously it would probably be a festival. But have you done anything where, where, where you were on uh, no, the same bill? No, we have bill? never. No, no. But I've seen them a bunch of times, and and because I've got to you know meet Gene and Paul and Eric, and I've never met Tommy Thayer actually, but I've met everybody except Tommy Thayer uh, numerous times. Um, but we've never played together. So you're a big enough Kiss fan that I think you deserve to get the question asked. You probably I know it's okay. <laughs> you know what I the know question is. I know I know it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here's the question. Did Jeff Schroeder save the Smashing Pumpkins? Um <laughs> uh... You know, that's an interesting question. I think that, that um, Billy has said numerous times that, you know, that the band wouldn't be around today if I wasn't in there. Because I think I always encouraged him to m- keep his, to to maintain like the, the integrity of the band. Because I, I would be like, man, don't get, don't let the business get you down. This band is great. You're an amazing talent, an amazing songwriter, an amazing musician. And, you know, just because of the way that the business moves is no real um, representation of the worth of the band. And I think that's where these discussions about Kiss and stuff would come along because it shows if you, if you stay with it and you do what's basically true to you for long enough. And you're going to go through changes. You're going to go through metamorphoses and whatnot. But if you kind of, if you kind of stick it in and you put in the work, which Kiss has always done is, you know, the one of the hardest working bands out there, they've kind of survived. And 
you know, and we're in, hopefully it's with the smashing pumpkins, we're kind of getting into a similar type of territory where it's just, you see a lot of the other bands from the era, they're not around, you know, for various reasons. Mm -hmm. And somehow we've been able, so I think I helped through the lean times, you know, where, we didn't have any original members. Billy was the only one. And, you know, the, the shows weren't so great, you know. So I really identify with what those members like a Bruce Kielik had to go through. And what important um, role you play in the band and kind of keeping, you know, helping the band keep their heads up high and just doing the best. And then I was lucky that when that you know when the opportunity came to get the central members of the band back together billy was like from the beginning like hey jeff's not going anywhere you're going to go along for this ride too so i was i was I've, i was like the like because that usually doesn't happen you know usually you get the call yeah. like hey i love you but this is gonna this is what's gonna take place and you know there's just not enough room. but he was he was from from day one from from phone call one from hey this is what he let me know he was very clear. He was like, you're not going anywhere. I want you to be the first person to know. He was very transparent about the whole thing. So, Which has got to um, make you feel really good, you know. Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes it easier instead of like having to, you know, read about it between the lines. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? To, right. to, to read like, a tweet like, that you know, says you're going... no longer in the band. <laughs> but, but, Jeff, when you agree yeah. to, though, because you can step outside of the bubble and look at it from a very open perspective. You maybe were able to help Billy with some things that he couldn't see because he's too close to it. I think so. I think that that's a huge, huge part of it. Like, because you, there's the one thing that you can't ever do when you're in the band is watch the band and experience it as a fan. I was able to, numerous times i mean i saw i think the smashing pumpkins four or five times before i was in the band and through different eras so i was able to see the band when i thought it was phenomenal and i was able to see the band when i thought like oh you know i've seen wasn't maybe the greatest show and kind of you're able to see what worked and what doesn't work from the other side of the fence and i think that that's a a really really great perspective and you know whatever it's whether it was vinnie Benson or mark st john or you know, Bruce Keelick or Tommy Thayer to be able to, or Eric Singer or Eric Carr to be able to provide those perspectives. Yeah, so, I would just think it would be invaluable. So, 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 Jeff, let's 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 legitimately wrap here with the real question: Did Vinnie Vincent save Kiss? Um, that's you know, I I think my answer is is similar to. Chuck Klosterman's theory, which is if it wasn't Vinnie Vincent, they would have found someone like Vinnie Vincent that would kind of modernize the sound to a certain way. But I think my answer would be though, Kiss would now, I, I would have said that maybe I, if you asked me a year ago, I would have said he did save Kiss. But I would say now that I think that Kiss would have persevered regardless. Because great, you know, maybe my answer is actually great no. minds allow for change. That's why. Yeah. Because we have one. You know, guy I think that I. <laughs> <laughs> Mark is sitting back right now, just going, "No, Vinny saved oh, the band." Look, um, it's 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 a scientific fact. <laughs> if 
I love it up, a, no, Mark, Mark, it up, I'm a big Vinnie Vincent. I, I like Vinnie Vincent. I like the Vinnie Vincent, Vincent, Vincent fan. Nothing to do it. If Lick It Up is not a hit single, <laughs> that's exactly what would have happened. Paul Stanley solo record. It it all. If that album would have tanked, it's all over. If they would have, <laughs> if they would have left the makeup on for "Lick It Up," it wouldn't have mattered how good that single is. They would have tanked. That's probably true too, Michael. That's probably true yeah. too. But to be fair, and taking all the the silliness out of it, he co-wrote all but two songs on there's there. The, there's no denying he's an incredible songwriter. Well, again, without without the single, that record flops, and uh, even without makeup, um, all things equal, and they don't have that single, it's over. They they would have just. I have a. They couldn't have toured. I mean, if 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 that would have went the way of of creatures, it'd been done. And and say what you want that that song is still in the set list for a reason, big hit. Oh, it's People one of the best it. songs of all time. One of the best songs of all time, I think. I love that. I have song. a question for you guys. I have a question for you guys that I, I think is maybe you know also a good way to kind of end. That maybe it's kind of a somewhat of a big question, but to me, it explains kind of why we're you know would would maybe the question explains why we're even here in the first place talking about it is why. And I think that the question about Vinnie Vincent saving kiss even harkens to this as well as what is it about kiss that is, you know, about everything about them that, it, that, that makes it able to, for you guys, I think what this is going to be episode 374, 75. Look at this guy yeah. knows what episode we're on before I do. Yeah. I won't, yeah. I wouldn't know right. until Sunday when I'm putting it together. He's no, Jeff is right. It's 374. <laughs> right, okay. Which when I tell people cuz I tell I told you know tell people oh, I'm going on this three sides and they're like, "Oh, really? There's a, there's Kiss podcast." I'm like, "Kiss I'm like there are so many Kiss podcasts." You know, not just but this is, you know, obviously the biggest one out there, you know, much to probably the chagrin of some other people, but you know, I mean, I was, you know, that, yeah, and, I, and, and I'll be like, they, and I would say they have 373 episodes. And they're like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> uh, talk, and they, and they're like, they talk about kiss every week. I'm like, yeah, yeah. We talk, you know, I mean, they talk about kiss. You know, <laughs> which is it is. But what is it to, for you guys? You know, the three of you individually. What is it about? What do you think it is about Kiss that makes us want to get together and even talk about it? Or for me, I listen to you guys every single week. Every single week, I've listened to. I've gone back and probably over the last couple caught up and listened to every single episode. You poor man. Oh, God. <laughs> I couldn't listen to myself. You know what I mean? It was weird. Like, when I first got on and I was looking for the cable and I could still hear you guys in my headphones, I was like, this is a very surreal experience to me. Like, I'm not <laughs> hearing these voices. Like, I'm, like talking. I'm, I'm used to, like, washing my dishes or something, like, or changing my guitar strings, listening yeah. to these guys talk. I can't, I can't believe like, I'm actually on this phone call. Well, now you're, now you're a member <laughs> of the club. Yeah. I'll go first. <laughs> yeah, great, you go, Tommy. That's a great question. I'll go first. 
I would say that it's our friendship, the three of us and Lisa. So the four of us, that's number one. And I think the other part of it is, is that it's the same thing that, that I love about going to see them play live is, is it makes you feel like a kid again. And one of the things that I love most about my childhood and growing up was those friends that I had that you'd get together and you'd play football or baseball or hockey or whatever. But then you go back to someone's house and listen to records and you talk about music and just hanging out and, and doing all of that. And when we become adults and we, you know, have responsibilities and jobs and, and families and all that, you don't get that anymore. And so for me to be a piece of this, it gives me that small window back into my childhood. You know, we, we've take, we've taken mm-hmm. heat for saying it's great. You know, it brings us back to being a 12-year-old, and people are like, freaking idiots. What do you want to be 12 years old again? It's like, no, we want to remember and smile and have the, the memory of being a kid that first time you ever heard, saw, or watched Kiss. Is there anything wrong with that? Recreating it, reliving it. I remember the first time that I saw, because it was in the Detroit Free Press, it said, Kiss debuts new costumes. They did it twice. Um, They did it for the Love Gun outfits, and they did it for the Dynasty outfits. And keep in mind, it's in a black and white newspaper. And I remember just staring at those pictures. And then I remember seeing the color version. I don't know if it was in cream or whatever. If you remember the old 1977 uh, cream special um, mm-hmm. on the cover, it's the blue background. And, yeah. And then I remember just seeing the picture. Like, I think that maybe was where I saw it for the first time. Um, that same picture that was in the free press now was the cover of the magazine and it just, I just remember it like exploded. You know what I mean? I just, so to get back to what Tommy and Michael Moore, so Tommy, what Tommy was saying was, I still get that, um, that 12 year old in me that it's, I'll tell you a, a great example of that is right when the curtain goes up at Detroit Rock City, I, I'm, I'm just a big tub of goo when that happens. You know what I mean? It's just like, I, that is so fucking cool. As soon as Fran gets down there with the, you wanted the best, uh-huh. all the fucking hairs <laughs> of my arm go up. And then when that fucking boom comes in, the curtain falls, forget it for fucking yeah. get it. It's insane. And we're, we're standing backstage and, and I say to Mark, I'm like, Paul just said your name. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're, you know what? I mean, it's it's funny, Jeff. You know, people are people look at us. You know, wherever we go out, and they're like, especially if it's a kiss event, it's like three sides. I love you. And, you know, we we so appreciate the love, but for us, we're also like, we still don't quite get it because we're just fans. That's it. We are just kiss fans, and. You know, I've said this so many times. We just happen to be three KISS fans who get together and and talk about it on a podcast. Why millions of people have listened to it and connected to it, why musicians and the Smashing Pumpkins become fans, beyond our belief to understand why. It's just we're, we're, 
We're three, as we, we joke about, we're three Weisenheimers, we're three knuckleheads, we're three kiss geeks, we're three goofs. You know, we're, we're a cauldron of what's it? What is it? Cauldron uh, of twat waffles. Yeah, petulant twat waffles. <laughs> petulant twat waffles, we've been called. I mean, you know, that's to, to, to what Tommy said, friendships, for sure. All of my best and closest friends are because of KISS. It's plain and simple. I wouldn't, I wouldn't ha- know my wife if it wasn't because of KISS. I wouldn't have a six-year-old daughter if it wasn't for KISS. You know, because I moved out to California for a KISS job, and that's where I ended up meeting my wife. Would, would I have met her if I stayed in Chicago? Probably not. Never would have happened. Right. So it's the friendships. But but to what Mark was saying, yeah, it's those goosebumps. It's, I, I told people, like, when I finally saw the end of the road tour last Friday, I was grinning ear to ear from start to finish. It was just smiles and being happy. And, and it's getting together on this show to share stories and memories because every KISS fan has stories and memories. You can be a fan that's only known them for five years or you can be there for 50 years. You can love only the makeup. You can love only the unmasked. Doesn't matter. We've all amassed stories and memories that that that's all we want to do is just share it. It's like when you come on, it's like, all right, Jeff, share your stories, share your memories. Because as KISS fans, I think that's something that we all can can grab on to. Because we just love to hear, just just like when you were, your your story about the, the guy who was testing mics for you. It's like all of a sudden, oh, you worked with KISS? Well, let's share some stories and memories. <laughs> I, you know, well, does, does that happen yeah. with every other band? To some level. But I think what KISS has is they've been around for nearly 50 years. They've had a great variety of styles of music. Makeup, no makeup, different costumes, bad costumes. You name it. There's something (laughs) they've done that's going to make somebody want to talk about it. And, And also, too, I can't imagine that it's really all that different for anybody that has a passion or a hobby from childhood. I mean, I can say to you, when you go back and you maybe play some old Ace Fraley solos, doesn't it take you back to playing in your bedroom and learning to play it for the first time? Or Mark, you know, when you beat that guy and you score a goal playing hockey now, it takes you back to being a kid when you were on the rink. It's the same kind of thing. It's It's just different perspective. Well, that's one thing we all said, and Jeff said it earlier in the episode. Kiss has been a constant in all our lives. From, you know, because I was nine when I first discovered them. So that was right around nine, ten years old is when you start, I think, kind of remembering everything uh, in your life. You know, I mean, when you're a little guy, you know, some memories are stronger than others, but Right around that time, you start to come into yourself and then into, you know, when you're preteen and teen, you really start to you remember all that. And and everything with Kiss has a memory uh, it, and it 
it, I don't want to say it haunts me, but it follows me. I mean, everywhere. I, I think about Kiss, you know, a lot during the day and how how happy it makes me. That's one thing, too, because, Jeff, I, I obviously, you know, because you watch the show, you know, I've eh, been a collector for a while. And, and that's one thing that, and I know this sounds really hokey, but when people like, you know, if they're ever snide about it or whatever, I'm like, you poor bastard. You don't have anything in life that you makes love. you happy the way this makes me happy. Yeah. You have no idea the joy that I get from doing this. And it's a personal thing. I've never bought, of the thousands and thousands and thousands of things that I own, I've never bought one thing as an investment. I bought it because I liked it and it made me happy. And it's cool to hang around. And it's. I really wish everybody could feel that it's just so much fun and you know what else i love i love when my friends come over especially someone from out of town who and they walk down there and they're like holy shit and i'm like look man it's it's just a passion you know it's a lot of fun and and that's if if you really boil kiss down it's really those three letters f-u-n kiss is fun man kiss is real fun and it's been fun it since That's I was true, a kid, yeah. and it's still fun, you know. And as you know, too, Jeff, you know, it's nice, and, you know, Tommy and I are, you know, we're, you know, I'm, I'm visiting Tommy, and Tommy Thayer asked me about, you know, some stuff I'm helping the band with, and, and you know, just as a KISS fan, what gets better than that? You know, I'm very fortunate now I get to that, I've gotten to that, I never set out to do that. But it's nice that the band wants me to participate in helping them with stuff. What an honor, you know? What a freaking honor. This whole thing, being a KISS fan, has made my life so rich and so much fun. And and it's it's really indescribable. And the reason I'm bringing all that up is because you asked basically the question, you know, you come here for 300 episodes. Well, here's to the next 300, man, because I could sit and talk about this stuff every day. It's so much fun and it never gets boring. You know, we, we, we get that question all the time. It's like, you know, how long are you going to keep doing this? How 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 do you find something to talk about? And, it, and literally, you know, the simple answer is as long as it's fun, we'll keep doing it. That's it. As long as we have laughs every week. At ourselves, at Kiss, Kiss fans, and smiles, and you know, we'll keep doing it because it life is too short to not be happy. And every time we get a great guest on, like you, Jeff, that adds to it too because you bring a whole group of stories and things to talk about that we haven't discussed. So, there you go. Yeah, but I think you know what, there's something about Kiss in particular, which is I don't know if there's, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if there's any other band in the history of rock music that has this kind of this thing about it, some unquantifiable element that you can have 374 episodes and still be able to, with confidence, say we could easily do another 300 because there's something about from the music to the personalities to the to the to the fans to the interaction of all those elements that from the mistakes, from the triumphs that, that you just can't ever wrap your finger around in a good way because it, because there's always 
a new perspective. There's always a new bit of information that feeds to that excitement. It, it's, it's just, I don't know if there's another band that you could really do that much discussion about and not get bored. You're probably you're, right. You're probably there. There's, I think there might be, you could count on one hand. And I think part of it is the band has to have had a long career and almost a long varied sure. career of ups and downs and good and bad because you know we, we we've said this you know we're lucky we're kiss fans we've got so many albums from our favorite bands so many tours so much stuff we love imagine if your favorite band only had one album a great album but only came and disappeared after one album could you do 374 episodes about one album and one tour of a band no. that lasted three years? Look at Nirvana. I mean, again, I'm not r- ripping on them or anything, but a couple big, you know, diamond selling records or whatever, but that's it. It's done. Short shelf. Yeah, no. And I think that it, like I said, it's something about about kiss with it 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 just even talking about the mistakes is just as interesting as mm-hmm. talking about more the, so. the triumphs <laughs> maybe more so yeah it's kind of going like what the heck were, were they thinking or why and but it's you know but i think you know for me too like you said i think it you know what i always go back to is is for me and i think was what you guys all three of you said in a you know in similar and different ways is that there's an emotional connection to it. It's not just intellectual curiosity or just, you know, musical curiosity. There's a true emotional connection to the band, which, which is for me is, which is what I have. And, you know, I think back, I went through a really, you know, rough period of my life where, you know, I kind of you know ended a long-term relationship. I was going to graduate school and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And, I would go home to my little small apartment in West LA and VHS still pre DVD. And I would watch, um, kiss exposed. Oh no. Kiss yep. extreme Close Up. There you, you know? go. Kiss extreme Close Up. I mean, every night, every night, you know, and just cause you know, there wasn't, you know, pre internet you couldn't know YouTube. You couldn't go find all this new footage. And so you just had to just watch that. And I would watch it and it, it, and I know it sound may sound cheesy to say, but it really did get me through that time. You know, well, because we it was something that. just just comforting about hearing Paul's voice or Gene's voice, just the way they would talk about things. It didn't even matter what they were saying; it was just almost like the tonality of it that just made me know that you were I was going to get through that time, you know, and be all right. And we can relate to that. We, t- I totally understand exactly yeah. what you're saying. And it's a different trigger point for each person. Some will, will watch that video. Others will listen to a live, whatever it might be. But I get it. Yeah. I think that's another part of it, too. You know, is yeah. that emotional tie that some people just, you can't explain it to them. <laughs> yeah, you can't. Yeah. You can't. Um Jeff, we, as as we always say, we could keep going on for hours here because that's what Kiss fans could talk all night about I their know. favorite band. Um, but we got to wrap up because we got to do some other stuff. Um, where plug plug whatever you want to plug, whether it's something you're doing, the Pumpkins are doing, 
Um, you know, let's make sure we tell KISS fans where to go find you and the pumpkins online. Yeah, so um biggest thing this year is we have um Smashing Pumpkins. We're doing um couple festival, big festival dates uh, where we're headlining um at Shaking Knees in Atlanta and Beale Street in Memphis and then like I said, we're doing about a twelve city tour based around that. And then uh in July we're doing those uh, six shows, six stadium shows with Guns N' Roses. So smashingpumpkins.com, you can you know find out all about that. And then I also have a, a new band um, that I launched in October called Night Dreamer. And so we have nightdreamermusic.com. Um, and that's like a, a more of electronic type of thing it's not is it's a little more fringe but that's something that um we're just starting so if people are interested in hearing that um you know they can check that out too but yeah i'll be out there and you know if anybody i'm on instagram uh jjj schroeder um and if whatever follow me and you know send me a message we can talk about kiss there too so i I'm, i'm awesome always ready always ready to talk kiss with anybody awesome that's fantastic. <laughs> Jeff, thank you so yeah. much for sitting down. I mean, this I knew this yeah, was, I knew back. I knew this was going to be a, a a fun conversation and and like I said at the beginning, I'm sure there were some Kiss fans going, "What the hell does the Pumpkins have to do with a Kiss show?" You just found out after nearly 2 hours of great Kiss discussion. <laughs> and we didn't even we didn't even I mean, there's so many other rabbit holes we could go oh, down. Oh God, so. yes. Yes. Absolutely. Well you, like I said, you'll have to come back and we'll we'll yeah. we'll dive no, into a couple of rabbit need, holes. Anytime you need a it, you know if someone one of you guys can't make it you need someone to fill in. Let me know nice. if I'm around. Uh, I'll, is, I'll, Izzy, I'll hey yeah. Izzy, we've got a replacement. <laughs> yeah. We've already yeah, fired sorry, we already sorry. fired Ralph, so Izzy's just <laughs> barely hanging on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lisa's going so, nowhere. Yeah, yeah, she's too hot. Yeah, she's great too. She's great oh, too. She's I love awesome. when Lisa's on. Yeah, she brings the beauty to the show, to the beasts. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, have have a have an awesome rest of your day, and maybe we can uh, hook up while you're out on tour somewhere. Yeah. Man, that was so much fun talking with Jeff. That that mm-hmm. that's a Kiss fan. That you're just hanging out with a Kiss fan and sharing stories and memories, but. I also love kind of getting the insight on how the pumpkins do things that, you know, KISS fans could learn this is how a set list is put together and this is how show productions interface with songs. I'm glad he brought that up. Yeah, yeah. So great, great insight. You know, homework, I think the first homework question is, are you a Smashing Pumpkins fan or have you heard the Smashing Pumpkins before? Right. Yeah, that's a that's a real good one. Let's face it, they were huge in the nineties. Oh god, Ew. massive, massive. So, and also, what was that song? Anti. Anti hero. Anti heroes. Anti heroes. Well, that's a homework assignment. Go because I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I wrote it I down. I'm going to go check this out. I got to see yeah. what this sounds like. So yeah, yeah, you know that that's your homework. Just talk about. Are you aware of the pumpkins? Are you a fan of the pumpkins? Is it? I think it's kind of cool to learn that that Jeff and Billy are like huge Kiss fans. Kind of gives well, you a, a new appreciation of of uh, of another band when you find out. Oh yeah, they like my band. All right, now they're cool. You know, it's fun. Right. I'm not a big Smashing Pumpkins fan, but what's that one? Because I I actually 
warm up with that one with the ba 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 ba. What's the name of that song? I can't. I couldn't name I a song by tune like that. I mean, they, you know, was it 1979? That's a huge. All I know is I warm up with that beat. I just know that it's a Smashing Pumpkins beat. That's where I got it from. Because I'm not a big fan. But like I said, when I'm doing my warm-up licks, that's always one of them I I, I throw in a lot. I because I, I always liked it. Cool. I can't remember the name of the song though. Well, now we're gonna have. You should have done that to Jeff, and he could have told you what it was. But even he'd be like, "You want me to guess a song like that?" And and, and listen, how cool, Tommy? At least for you, how cool is it sitting back and watching them go off on Tommy Bolin for fifteen minutes? <laughs> well, I knew I was gonna start it. Yeah. <laughs> boy mark perked right up on that oh, yeah. tommy bolin discussion Look, i'm telling you he 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 <laughs> and he here, here we go again tommy <laughs> no because i gotta go fucking the puck dropped 50 minutes ago liz brought home chinese food an hour and a half ago all right I'm all right wait, wait, wait a second she knows you tape on tuesday she knows the timing so it's therefore, in the fucking oven. Let's wrap it the fuck up, okay? Let's go. Angry. So, so you got your homework. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. If you're on Spotify, follow us. And if you're on iTunes, leave us a review and a rating. And uh, we've got something we're lining up next week. Stories from Mark and Tommy on the road. It's going to be next week's episode. So, mm -hmm. three sides of the coin, we're out of here. We'll see everybody next week. Love the show. Go to iTunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks. Download your free, free copy of the KISS School of Marketing. 11 Lessons I Learned Working with KISS. The number one downloaded business book on Noise Trade. Go to books.noisetrade.com slash Michael Brandvold. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. So you love the show. Go to iTunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.